Hi, everyone. I'm Pastor Eric. And I'm Kelsey. And we're here to invite you back to another exciting episode of The Good News in Harry Potter. Today, we're going to be talking about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 15, Aragog. So, Kelsey, what did you like about this chapter? I really liked that once they get into the Forbidden Forest and we see the Weasley family car find them, it's described as a loyal dog finding its master. And I just picture, like, almost, you know, the cars from the Pixar movie Car. Like, that's what I picture this car as with, like, a whole face that's animated and, like, its tongue sticking out and it's, like, doors flapping with excitement. Yeah, and it's, like, a little wild. No, mm-hmm. and they say it's got mud and scratches yeah. on it and everything. So it's like, you know, living its best car life out in the middle of the Forbidden Forest, yeah. hanging with the centaurs. All, all it needed was just to, you know, run into the Whomping Willow and then be set free in the Forbidden Forest to be a happy little car dog. It raises very interesting ethical questions on... Uh, uh, what exactly in magic implies like a, a sentient kind of aspect yes, to a car? It does. Um, but we don't have to go into those there, but <laughs> keep those on your back burner, people. <laughs> that could be its whole own podcast. What was your favorite part? Speaking about dogs, my favorite part is when uh, Harry and Ron like low key kind of poison Fang. Like, like, people should know you don't give fudge to dogs yeah right and the first thing they do is they give him this gummy fudge to shut him up and i'm just like man if fang was a dog of any less constitution this would have been terrible but i just think it goes to show that i think fang is just a tough dog who can overcome a lot in including potentially being poisoned with chocolate by ron and harry and you know it's again one of ron and harry's Less intelligent decisions. Yeah, and Fang is just great throughout this whole chapter. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the loving dog, excited to see uh, Harry and Ron again. You know, makes a big ruckus, is like whining at the door when he hears them coming. Like, the, the, the whole thing, you know, he's, despite his looks, he's really got a heart of gold. And also the courage of a cowardly lion. Yeah, the fact that they bring him in the Forbidden Forest with them, thinking that he'll be any sort of protection. Like, Harry has entered the Forbidden Forest with him previously in book one, and they saw what a coward and baby he is. Just runs straight away from danger, wants none of it. And, you know, to be fair, I don't blame him. You I know? don't know. He just wants to look tough. He doesn't want to actually have... To be tough. Right. When Ron is like, aren't there werewolves in the Forbidden Forest? It's like, uh, yeah, I'm not going in there either. Right? I also really like Snape in this chapter. Um, how when Malfoy's kind of implying that, he, oh, you should throw your head into the ring for the headmaster's job and everything. And Snape's very dismissive of Malfoy while not being openly aggressive about it. But then he kind of transforms into, like, the world's worst babysitter. Yeah. You know, trying to rustle up the kids to head off to Herbology and then, like, takes them halfway and goes, oh, not my problem anymore. Yeah, you you get the sense. It doesn't explicitly say, I don't think, but it kind of seemed like he walks them to the front door of Hogwarts and then once they're out on the grounds, he's just like, 
all right, shoo, shoo, I'm done with you guys. You're out of the castle. And it's like, okay, so I get that none of these attacks on students have happened outside of the castle. So sure, maybe they're safe once they're outside, but they don't know what's causing these attacks. It could very well be happening on the grounds. And just because they're walking across the grass now, they're not necessarily safe, but uh, good enough for Snape. He's done. Yeah, Snape's like drawing on a lot of assumptions here when mm-hmm. they really know nothing about anything. Yeah. They don't know what kind of monster it is. They don't know how it's getting around. They don't They don't even know how, how it's doing the things to the students and the ghosts that it's doing, you know? Nope. Speaking of monsters, I just love in this chapter that you see, once again, Hagrid's complete love for creatures of all shapes and sizes and also his trust in the creature's kindness and innocence and good nature. Because, I mean, I think we know that Hagrid would never send Harry and Ron into a dangerous situation intentionally. Yet, he tells them to follow the spiders, which they do, and brings them to Aragog and his whole community of massive spiders that are first going to attack them, and then when they say, oh, no, we're friends of spiders, or friends of Hagrid, Aragog stops and chats with them for a while, but then at the end is like, oh, no, no, even though you're friends of Hagrid, I'm still going to let my family eat you. And if Hagrid ever thought this was the case, I don't think he would have sent, or I know he would not have sent Harry and Ron in there, but it just shows that he is always believing the best in these beastly creatures. Yeah, Aragog is like a really complicated character in this Mm -hmm. he you know he clearly has great love and great affection for Hagrid yes yeah but you know if he just is gonna have his offspring eat them right Mm -hmm. why talk to them and so like the whole talking stream is just part of this elaborate trap that Aragog is already springing on them that they're unaware of yeah by the way Follow the spiders. Terrible, terrible advice. advice. Not only do they they don't really learn anything that they don't already know. I mean, Hagrid could have just said, "It wasn't me, guys. The spiders are afraid of whatever it is," and then that's that that's exactly what they know. Well, they learn one thing. They they get confirmation of what they kind of already know is that it wasn't Hagrid, but then they learn that the girl that was killed 50 years ago died in a bathroom. But I would agree. Aside from that, like, that was a pretty treacherous situation to be in just to find out that the girl who died is potentially moaning Myrtle. Yeah, that's like, you know, 50 bucks a risk for a one buck piece of information, at least in my gut, you know. Yeah. And, you know... He could have just told them that. I'm sure Hagrid knew who who, who Moni Myrtle is. <laughs> you would think, but then again, if why hasn't anyone else in Hogwarts history figured this out? Like, you would think Dumbledore, who has worked at the school since the last attacks, knows that the girl died in the bathroom, has got to know that Moni Myrtle now haunts that bathroom. Like, you don't think he ever... He never put it together. Like, oh, maybe I should go have a chat with that ghost, Moaning Myrtle, and find out some more information about her death. 
Uh-huh. Did I just we ruin do the get, whole plot? We do get the sense that uh, Dumbledore's got a very offhand management style. Yes. So. <laughs> but, you know, I think that kind of, it just, all, all of our trouble with this little particular piece here is built upon this idea of Hagrid's kind of innocence, purity towards these creatures. He doesn't yes. see any fault in Aragon whatsoever. He is a precious little monster murder spider in yes. his eyes. Yes. The sweet little giant elephant-sized spider that he's raised since he was actually just a normal-sized spider. Which, you gotta imagine that that thing has to eat a lot. Oh. <laughs> just think about how giant his blind eyes are alone. Like, ooh. No thank you. And, you know, Hagrid took great risk to care for Aragon. Yeah. I mean... He fed it scraps off the table. It eventually led to his expulsion. But at no point, you know, was he willing to turn on Aragon or was willing to, uh, uh, you know, Aragon almost had to, like, run away almost. He was begging Hagrid to leave, but Hagrid wanted to care for it so much, mm -hmm. you know, that it really just kind of points to Hagrid's nature. Yeah. I mean... Against all odds, he cared for this creature when he was expelled from school. The fact that he's now living in the Forbidden Forest leads us to believe that Hagrid went and found him a spot in the Forbidden Forest to be safe and continue to grow and feed him and care for him. When I think most of our reactions when we see a spider is to squish it or at least run get rid away. of it, run away. But no, Hagrid is so nurturing and caring for these creatures and always seeing the best in them that he has raised this spider for the last 50 years. Dedication. And an old spider. And I think that leads to a very interesting parallel here. If we consider our own selves, right? You all, me, Kelsey, in some version, we are all the 50-foot murder elephant spider. We are these broken creatures that constantly go after our neighbors, sin, harm others, um, either deliberately or non-deliberately. It's the brokenness of our nature. We're incapable of this perfect love and perfect affection that... Hagrid or God seems to think that we are, right? And here's the, here's the coin. Is that God still loves, cares, nurtures, watches out for us, has a commitment to us that spans generations and generations and continues despite what the evidence of our brokenness as it lies around us, much like that creepy spider den that Aragon lives in and the amount of food that it must eat along with its brood of children. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the very kind of epitome of death monsters. Despite all of that, Hagrid still goes out, cares, loves, watches over it, day after day, year after year. Because that commitment is something that 
Hagrid will never break. And even as he's being hauled away, he still wants to honor that commitment and sends it off onto others. So God is like the same way. No matter how, how much our brokenness affects our world around us, no matter how much we sin and fall away and fall short from those grand expectations that God sees as he looks at each and every one of us, that love and care is always there. And so even you people, you little murder monsters out there, God cares for you, sees you, and thinks that you are special and grand and worthy of love and care. And that is a grand promise that we can put in the bank. Amen. So we'll see you next week, people of God, on another exciting episode of The Good News in Harry Potter. <laughs>